ultimately, I'm going to keep saying it, get 1% better every day. Just get a little bit better every day. Hi, welcome. Stephen Holder here with Zach Kiefer. Another episode of 1% Better, all about the Colts and their ongoing offseason. Thanks for joining us. This has been uh, an interesting period, Zach. We've had the draft now, and we've digested a lot of that news and are still digesting some of that. And this week, uh, the Colts' moves continue. It's not been yeah. a dull offseason at all, the latest being uh, Malik Hooker. Now, there's news on that front. The Colts declining his uh, fifth-year option. If you're not familiar on how these things work, the first-round picks have a fifth-year team option on those contracts. Uh, the salary goes up a bit. Uh, the Colts have declined that option, which is for 2021. I was relatively surprised. Uh, you, Zach, were what? I think you had a similar reaction? No. Because <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the vibe I got in the days before kind of led yeah. me to think that this was a possibility, that they would decline the option. Now, look, as you spelled it out It was weird. Story, I will say that. Yeah. yeah, as you spelled out in your story, like it's six point seven million. He's a game changing safety. He can make plays that few safeties can make. That's a fact. But it didn't tell me if you disagree with this. And I'm anxious for, for people's thoughts as well. You can make the case that Malik Hooker has not improved that much as a professional. He's t- very, very talented. I mean Chuck Pagano called him the next Ed Reed the minute he was drafted. Now, Chuck was very prone to hyperbole, and we all laughed, and Ballard said, wait a minute. But he's a stud back there when it comes to range and ability, and we've seen that. We saw that that interception in the stiff arm in Seattle, and he was a rookie. We saw the play he made against Phillip Rivers this year, which is as pretty an interception as I think I've seen in the last five years. We saw his interception against the Bucks. I think he's got seven takeaways He's battled injuries. He's not been on the field consistently. Now, Malik has played through a lot of pain as well. Let's not forget that. But he did not play well in the last month of the season. Chris Ballard made that clear. And I think you can make the case that this guy has not improved enough to warrant a for sure thing moving forward with this team. I think that's where they're where they're at. I think that's the Colts thinking. I'll go a step further on you noting that he hasn't sort of developed. I actually would argue that his best three games or his best, the best period of his career were his first five or six games of his career. I mean, he was leading the NFL in in interceptions after like five weeks. Yeah. Then he tears his ACL. Okay. Shit happens. Brutal. And brutal for him because he was playing well. Yeah. Now, he shows you the freak that he is because he bounced back from that thing in like nine and a half months. Like who does that? Yeah. Him and Adrian Peterson, right? But and literally, like by the next preseason, he was back on the field and playing like at full speed. I don't think he was quite himself yet, but he was playing and he was yeah. having him having an impact. So he he definitely is sort of this physical freak. There's something to that, but. I think it's a combination of a lot of things. It's You talked about him not being on the field. He's only missed five games the past two seasons. Really nothing to, to write home about. That's not a big deal in my mind. But I do think that over the course of three years, you're talking about a lot of missed games. And I think if it were only the injuries that we were talking about, then this would be a different conversation. If it was only the injuries 
and yeah. he still managed to have the impact, they would have done it. If he didn't have the a, impact, it's a no-brainer at that point. You don't find these players easily. Yeah, if he maybe still had sort of middling impact like he's had, but never missed any games, then they probably do it, right? He, you can't have two strikes though. He's got two strikes, and that's kind of the issue here. I think is it, it's not a cut and dried thing with him because there are some deficiencies that you just have to consider. Uh, but I, I do think still I thought they would do it just because you know what? What's the what's the big deal, right? I mean, right. It's not as if you know you have a replacement. Um, he's he's not a problem guy. Um, he he works as far as I can tell. He's got a good attitude. So you know, for me, it was kind of like, all right, well, th- what's the downside? It's not even guaranteed till a year from right. now. So, like, right, it's the not downside? a ton of money, and it's right. You pay that happily for a guy that takes the ball away. Chris Ballard harped on this when he took over. In 17, when he basically started to remake the entire defense from scratch, it was like, I want guys who can turn the game around. Turnovers were huge, and he harped on that last year at the end of the year about how they didn't take the ball away enough. Malik is the guy. He's the first guy that comes to mind with that ability. Um, Let me ask you this. Does the name Julian Blackman come into this decision? Is that too premature, or does that factor in at all? Because he's not going to be ready to play right away. Right. I, I don't think you can make this decision solely on the basis of Julian Blackman being in the building because no, you could be wrong about know. him. Yeah. yeah. You could be wrong about him like you were wrong about Quincy Wilson or something, right? I mean, for all we know. So, But the descriptions I, for Blackman are similar to what they true. were about Malik Hooker. Now, Malik Hooker was a first-round pick, and he deserved it, and he was, he was a stud at, at Ohio State for that one year. And he's still really young in his football career, but... Blackman, they can move around. He's got range. He can take the ball away. He's got great ability to go get the ball in the air. A little bit of similarity there with with Malik Hooker. Uh, I do think that Ballard is smitten with Blackman. That I think is clear. And I think if you watch with the final pick, and I know a lot of of fans and listeners have, you saw how he described him. And he said in there, he says, I think this guy is a bona fide free safety. Malik Hooker is the free safety. So, Correct. In, in Chris Ballard's mind, Julian Blackman is a free safety. So I don't think it's a stretch to say it is, in their mind, uh, they have a vision of him being their starting free safety at some point. That is, that's definitely on the table. Now he has to go out there and produce and show he's capable of that. But man, if they, if they have in this kid anything like they have in Kari Willis, then man, I mean, that's going to be something else. So I'll, I'll give him credit. I mean, there's a couple of takeaways here. It took Even, discipline no matter, to, to, to do this, I think, yes. in the Colts' minds. It would have been easy yes. to just give them the money. But you made an interesting point in your story, and it made me start to think about this. Who have they extended under Ballard? They've been very, very selective. Now, you know, they didn't have a lot of guys that you want to extend. Let's be honest. They didn't have right. a lot of young talent. But what, what were the three names, right? It was It was – Kenny Moore, it was Jack Doyle twice. Right. And it was who else? Well, who am I missing? Uh we're missing um oh, what's wrong with me? Uh Costanzo, did you say that? Yeah, okay. No yeah. brainer, Costanzo. So you're talking about Slam three dunks. pillars. Yeah. You're talking about three pillars and, and what do they have in common? Now a couple of them have had injuries. So it's not even that like they're injury free. It's just it's that, that they earned it. Yeah, and their level of performance. It never drops. 
consistent level of performance. Malik, I think you could you would have to argue that he for hasn't, every he high hasn't reached see, that tier. He has not done not what those three have done. For every high that you see with Malik, you see a low. You see him make a bad read, or you see him Miss you know, not make a play where maybe there was an opportunity, and say, like, "Hey, why didn't you go for that ball?" You know, he's indecisive. He misses a tackle here, and you know. And so, I don't think he's been a terrible player. I don't want to like overstate no, it. No, I'm no, not. No. He's not. I'm not dogging this guy. I I would have done it. I would have given him the. I would have ex- exercised the option because who cares? Because he's, he's so young. Deal. He's 24, right. and he hasn't been playing but, football for that long. Remember that. 19 games in college, and he's played, you know, what, 20-some-odd games in the NFL? You drafted him on potential. Let's be honest. You drafted him on one hell of a season at Ohio State. You drafted him on the potential of what he could become. He's shown flashes. He has not become that complete player yet. Yeah. Uh, I do share the frustration, okay? And I don't even have a dog in the fight, but just watching it, it's like, oh, my God, Malik, come on. You know, I I do think that you expect to see Yeah, there's some games that come to mind. New Orleans. Comes to mind. Yeah. I, I do think that that I expect more just on the basis of what I know his ability is and where he was drafted. You should expect more. But that being said, I, I still think having just turned 24 last month, which I thought was shocking. I had forgotten about that. He, he just turned 24 last month, and he's he's had these physical issues to overcome. Uh, if he could stay healthy for a year and and just kind of – raise his game, you could have a fabulous player. So now what the Colts are doing here, I think, which is important is important to note is they are actually sort of putting themselves out there. They're, they're kind of making a statement here. I think it's almost yeah, like I this like isn't that. just about Malik, you know, I, I don't yeah. know if there's a message being sent here, but I, I do think that is a component. Uh, I go back to remember what was one of the first things Ballard did when he got to the Colts, he traded Dwayne Allen. Why did he trade him? Because he he thought the contract and the performance didn't match. And that was a message. That matters to him a lot. He cares about how much he's paying the players. Not in terms of how it impacts the salary cap and how they can fit these guys in. He cares about what the other guys think about who's getting paid. They pay Jack Doyle because it sends the right message in Ballard's mind, right? They weren't ready to do that with Malik. This is me talking. They weren't ready to do that with Malik because they don't feel like he's gotten to that level yet. Yeah. You pay Costanza because it sends the right message. You pay Jack Doyle. You pay Kenny Moore. They love Kenny Moore, and they think he can become the best slot corner in football because that's what they want to be about, paying those kinds of guys. And I think they – you know, this doesn't mean Willie Cooker is going to play for the Colts next year and he's done after that. If he has – you know, it's it's sort of a, a gamble on the Colts' part. And it's also a message to Malik that says you need to put together a full season. And if, if you do, we can talk about an extension. But um, they just – I just don't think they were ready to do that yet. They haven't seen enough. I agree. Uh, and, and I think to expand on this Chris Ballard point, I think it's important that people understand, and, and you know him like I know him, and I think the one thing that people don't see on the outside is that there's a little bit of ruthlessness to Chris Ballard. And yeah. And I don't mean that he's a he's a jerk or like he hates players. Of course not, right? I mean, I think he has great relationships with these guys. He is who you think he is, right? He's the guy who adopted uh, the two kids that Zach wrote about and obviously, you know, saved those kids uh, from 
a lifetime of pain, right? He's the same guy who who bends over backwards uh, to acknowledge everybody in the organization to, so that they know that they're a part of the effort and part of every victory. And all of those things about him are true. At the same time, <laughs> all right, this guy has high standards and he doesn't care where you were drafted. He doesn't care how much they're paying you. And I think there's something to be said for that. I mean, you can agree or disagree with the moves, but never get it twisted, okay? Chris Ballard doesn't care. And at the end of the day, he is going to stick to his guns. And this, I think, is a great example of that. He's like, you know what? You didn't meet my standard? The answer is no. And you can like it. You can hate it. You can do whatever. But you're not going to be, ever be confused about where the bar is, <laughs> okay? And, and I just think there's something to that. That's relevant with a couple other issues we've talked about this offseason. I know you and I have talked about this both on the air and off. Mm-hmm. You know who he loves as, as much as any player in that room right now is seven, Jacoby Brissett. And what That's did correct. he do? He told Jacoby Brissett that he wasn't good enough by going out and signing someone to take his job for $25 million a year who's right. at least 10 years older, maybe 12 years older than him. <laughs> um, and he loves Jacoby Brissett. He says it every single time he's behind a microphone. Um, and he's not exactly putting his team in great financial position by paying the quarterbacks combined $45 million plus probably 50 now with Easton's rookie deal. Um, but he, he, you know, in light of how much, you know, how much he feels for Jacoby Brissett, he went out and made that move and he couldn't have liked that, but it was, let's be honest, it was the best interest of the team. And moving on to this, this is relevant here as well. He has not had a great 2017 draft. It was his first draft. He didn't have his scouts completely in the room yet. He did a lot of, you know, hiring and firing after the draft that year. But look, he missed on Quincy Wilson. We can say that definitively now. He missed terribly on Terrell Basham and Zach Banner. Those are three of his first four picks. Who was the other one? His very first pick in Indianapolis was Malik Hooker. And there's no, there's no, oh, he was my guy. He was my guy. We need to keep him around. You know, they're going to, right. they're going to do what's best for the team, regardless of where they made these picks. And that's abundantly clear based on the 17 draft. If Malik doesn't sign a second contract, you have to say the first three or four picks were huge misses of the Ballard era. That's the facts. That's how this is. Um, now they hit on Marlon Mack and, and I think Marlon Mack's way better than a lot of people do around the league. Um, but maybe Marlon doesn't sign a second contract now because of Jonathan Taylor's arrival. We'll see how things play out. Um, now, the 18 draft was ridiculous. The 19 draft was good, and I think it'll look even better this year. Um, yeah. We'll see about the 20 draft in the years to come. But the 17 draft, I mean, they, they've proven that if these guys aren't living up to where they were drafted, regardless of how high it was, they're willing to move on. I mean, they didn't even, they didn't even keep Zach Banner past training camp the first year. <laughs> This one Poor little guy named his dog Colt. Th- that was a little premature. Oh, that was terrible. It's funny because uh, probably shouldn't share this, but Ballard talks too much sometimes. But <laughs> remember, he told us one time, he's like, I knew that was a bad pick from day one. He hated we were that like, pick Whoa. the minute he made it. The minute he's oh admitted that, God. the minute he made that pick, he hated it. Right. So that was kind of funny. Uh, talk about Zach Banner there. Uh, listen, one thing. To expand on on the point that you're making, it's interesting. I agree with you, and I said this on the radio earlier today. I mean, I'm you don't you're not going to see me get up on a soapbox and defend uh, or hold up, I should say, the 2017 draft as as some kind of. Uh, uh, they get Walker too late. Don't forget about Walker. For, That's about, a great pick. That was a great pick. Yeah, their, their backside of that draft was very good, actually. I mean, they also got, by the way, um, 
uh, who's what's wrong with me today? The corner who got sent to New York. Um, oh, Nate Hairston. Nate Hairston he played a little me. for them. Yeah, right. And so Nate Hairston was their starting nickel his rookie year. You know, before Kenny Moore sort of took over that role. But um, so I think the back half of that draft was very impressive. I, I just think the front half got things were complicated. But that being said. The couple of things, a couple of variables there. Number one, uh, they did not have the current staff in place. So you're drafting for the future, not knowing what the future is going to be. That's complicated. Yeah, and you're, drafting you're also for drafting a different defense, which is you're drafting for a different scheme. You're drafting with different personnel in your personnel department. Uh, so, you know, that was very difficult. Um, yeah, I don't but know at that, the same time, was that you can't miss on yet? second rounders. You can't miss on you, third you can. rounders. You can't miss on fourth. I mean, that's just, you're not going to. That These guys should be the entering their prime right now. And Malik and Quincy Wilson's playing for the – half the team's playing for the Jets, but Quincy Wilson. Um, you know, I had heard murmurs after the draft that this guy was overdrafted, and I think that was true. But I don't know why. I don't know if it was the coaches. I don't know if it was Quincy's attitude. I don't know if he was just never supposed to be a second-round pick, but that's a huge miss. There's no other way to see that. The funny thing is, I think that both Malik and Quincy Wilson would have been better uh, had Chuck Pagano remained the coach. Now, obviously, that was not an option. <laughs> okay, I am not suggesting that. True. I'm just saying, in that system, they would have thrived a little more. I think they I were think you're right. They were more right. geared toward that style of defense. Quincy, for sure. Quincy, yeah. he, he, he was a good soldier. You know Quincy well as well. But, I mean, he was a good soldier, and he said the right things. He hated this system. He hated it. Yeah. Okay, that's just the bottom line. And he hated it because it's not something he's ever done, and he wasn't good at it, clearly. Right, and they agreed. <laughs> so what I think Quincy everybody's in agreement goes to there. New York and like starts and like plays really well and plays the whole season. They were really happy to have him. Uh, I talked to Rex Hogan, who's a Colts former vice president of personnel, who is now the assistant GM in New York. Clearly, <laughs> likes a lot of his former players, and right. uh, they were they were thrilled. They were really happy to get him. So uh, I think it'll work out good for everyone. But my my point is, though, what I was gonna say. I think is a point that needs to be made. Uh, there were some misses, and it's there was not a banner draft. What's interesting, though, is some of those players were made expendable by other players they drafted. Okay, yeah. You know, take Malik Hooker for example. One of the reasons, as we just said, one of the reasons they have options is because they did just draft Julian Blackman. Now he's got to do something. But yeah, we got to see him play. Look at game. Marlon Mack. Right? Will they? Will they extend Marlon Mack? I don't know, man. I'm not so I don't sure know. they will. It's a running because back. Because Jonathan and Taylor, I find don't you find a don't you find it hard to believe that Jonathan Taylor is going to be a bust? Like, do you see oh, Jonathan I, yeah, Taylor being a bust? I, I don't see that. I don't see that. Right. So they they think the same thing. So uh, look at Anthony Walker for example. Anthony Walker is in the battle of his life this year because Bobby Okereke is coming. All right. Yeah. So so this is a good problem to have. You know, you go out there and you draft good players. They're going to take some jobs, and you're going to have to make tough choices. Uh, We've so noticed it. It's a good thing. Really changed the last couple of years because we get into camp, and then we get into the end of camp, and it's it's late August, and it's the first week of September, and we're doing our roster cut down predictions. And I remember reaching out to Ballard at one point, being like, "This is so much harder than it was your first year. Your first year was like, ah, let's just find guys, let's just fill out the back end of the roster. Like these, the, there was no depth." They had one guy signed from the from the cuts they made their first year. They had one guy signed off another team. That tells you they had no depth. That tells you the other teams didn't like their roster. And last year they had multiple guys signed, and they were really tough choices at receiver and 
And there was just such a more, there was so much more depth on that roster. And now you're seeing really good players like Anthony Walker, who's feeling a little bit of heat from a younger guy. And it's going to be deeper in the back end of the, of the defensive back room as well. So that's, that's changed. And that's how they get it to, that's how you get a better team is you just have more depth and you just keep adding pieces in the draft every year. But uh, it'll be fun to see that play out this summer as well. Yeah, we're we're continuing to see that happen even after cuts, like throughout the season. I thought last year was a good example. There were several guys who were cut from the active roster or signed uh, off the practice squad by other teams, what have you, you know, picked up on waivers. Deion Kane is a good example. Uh, I think you're going to continue to see that. So, um, hey, it's, a, again, a good problem to have. And if you are good at if you're good in April, you're going to have these issues come September, October, November. And I've, as I said, those are good problems to have. Um, I, I do think that uh, this kind of this kind of shows a, not a foreshadowing, but it, it, it sort of brings to the forefront some of the other decisions they're going to have to make. I've already mentioned Anthony Walker. He's now going into the final year of his contract. That's a guy to watch. Yeah. Uh, we talked yeah. about Marlon Mack. Uh, Danico Autry, okay, now somewhat expendable going into the final year of his deal when you go and trade for DeForest Buckner. So I, yep. I think it's there's going to be a little bit of reshaping potentially, you know, as as we move forward here. And do you think that I, I don't think you ever want your players comfortable, but is there a balance to strike? I, I do think right now that if you're a player on this roster, you probably are looking over your shoulder. And yeah, and I don't think it's any one specific action, but just in general, I think that point has been made. Do you think, is that the way you think, is that what you think is most effective? What do you think? What are your thoughts on that? One, it's the nature of the league and it has to be this way, but am I making too much of a leap by, by getting at the point that Ballard made after the year, that word he kept using friction. Now it's not the same thing. And, and he wanted guys to be a little bit more boisterous in the locker room. And he wanted guys, I think to get on each other a little bit more. Um, but there, yeah, I mean, there's, there's no sacred cows and even Philip Rivers is, he's playing on a one-year deal and there's nothing guaranteed beyond that. And I think, I think you're going to see, you know, going back to what we talked about right at the very beginning, think about the guys they've extended. Absolute no brainers. And they're very, very few and far between Jack Doyle, Anthony Costanzo, Kenny Moore. You look forward at the guys that you're going to extend and you're going to extend Ryan Kelly, unless you're an idiot, but even guys who you think they might extend, it's, it's no guarantee. Marlon Mack, Anthony Walker, great teammates. You saw what, what Marlon Mack said when, when Frank texted him after they drafted Jonathan Taylor. He said, let's go, let's get it. And whether those are his real thoughts or not, only Marlon Mack can say, but you know, that's a teammate. That's what you want to hear if you're the head coach. So, um, it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. And, and you haven't even mentioned the biggest free agent of all. It's T.Y. Hilton next year um this is his last year of his deal and it, it could go two ways because i don't think it's a guarantee i think ty is absolutely beloved here i think frank really 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 appreciates what he's brought i think chris as as well but um last year was not a great year for ty and, and he hated it and he hated the injuries and he hated the fact that they couldn't throw the ball down the field he's going to get new life with philip rivers but um there's going to be some tough decisions to make and, and ballard has proven he will make the tough decisions, the unpopular decisions, um, if he feels like it's in the best interest in the team. And, and T.Y. and Walker and Mac, I don't think it's a slam dunk that any of them are back 
in 2021. We're getting ahead of ourselves. They have a lot of money to spend. But look at the money they're going to have to shell out for Quentin Nelson in a couple of years and Darius Leonard in a couple of years. And, and those are no brainers as well. But it's going to be interesting to see how this roster shapes up because you're going to, you're probably going to say goodbye to a guy like Danico Autry and maybe Taquan Lewis and maybe, maybe Anthony Walker. I know Darius wouldn't like that. We just chatted with him from, he's down in South Carolina yeah, outside we'll definitely be moving tractors around <laughs> while he trains. But, uh, it's that, that those are the hard decisions. And that's the problem that good rosters come. That's the problem that comes with having good rosters. You see how the Patriots have done it for so long. Um, when you have talent, you have to say the goodbye to some of it. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But they are pretty well-versed entering this season. There are not a lot of holes in this roster the way I see it right now. Um, Got to have a couple guys step up. Paris Campbell comes to mind. Bobby Okariki, if he continues to ascend. I like the linebackers. But um, if Rivers is legit, I, I like this roster. I like it a lot more than I did two months ago, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I think what they lack is a lot of elite talent. They have a couple of elite players, but yeah, they have like a lot of good all players. Pro guys. Right. But they, they do have yeah. a lot of good players, and that's, I think, something that can go a long way. I mean, you got some teams. The elite out ones there. are the ones that win you games, though, you know? That's true. Uh, but Leonard, I, I think depth is important, too. More. And that's something they've lacked. They, they do have depth. Um, I, I think it's going to change the complexion of things like when the injuries come, for example. Like like if they had the wide receiver injuries they had last year, if they happen to have that this year, maybe they can weather it a little better, right? I mean, you yeah, know, with a, they have adding to. a big gun uh, like Pittman, for example. So I, I don't know. We'll see. But uh, but I do think they're better positioned because of the depth. And, and they do have – I mean, they've added a definitely an elite player in Buckner. Uh, they've added, you know, a higher end quarterback. I'm not going to say elite because I don't know that he's there anymore, but but certainly a a viable quarterback. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. Um, let's turn the page a little bit to uh, we just, as a matter of fact, uh, finished a conversation with Darius Leonard, as you mentioned. Uh, I thought a couple of interesting takeaways there. Uh, first of all, what the Colts are doing, just to be clear, uh, they're doing their remote learning like your kids are doing in school basically. So they're having these remote meetings with their coaches and the strength and conditioning staff doing workouts, what have you. Uh, and so we talked to Darius about some of that. He's back home in South Carolina on the farm. Did you see the horse trailer <laughs> behind him <laughs> in the that video dude's country. I hope he never changes. He really is. But uh, what were your takeaways there? there? There's definitely, this is not ideal and there's definitely some complications no. that go along with this. Uh, what what were your observations from that conversation? One of the things that jumped out was he basically admitted that he can't work out as hard as he usually would. Mm-hmm. And he's out there and um, he's in South Carolina in a no stoplight town. I wrote about this a couple of years ago and he, you know, that it would, they would have to ride their bikes four miles to go get hamburgers at the restaurant. I mean, it's, it, he's away from people. He said his isolation is not that much different for me because there's no one around. But he can't really work out as hard. And he's saying he can't run as hard and lift as much because if he pulls something, there's no therapist, there's no trainer around to help him. So, you know, this is him speaking. This is this is the reality that he's facing. And so, you know, he doesn't like sitting around for two hours in meetings anyway. He doesn't like sitting there on a computer for two hours. Darius is, he wants to get up and go. That's how he is. That's what makes him such a fun player to watch because he's got so much energy. Um it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out because this might have an impact on the way they play football. If they even get to play football in June at minicamp, which I don't think they will. 
Um, but then when they start training camp, I mean, these guys, it'll be interesting to see what kind of shape they show up in and, and how much they've been able to train and how many of them have setbacks because they haven't been able to train at their usual level. Darius mentioned he's moving tractors around to, to build up strength. And, um, you know, that's great, but is he doing the exact type of training he really wants to? I think if he answered that question, honestly, he'd say no. I, I really don't think he's doing what he wants to do because of the situation. He's doing his best, though. I thought it was interesting. A little color there. He added that he, he has a man cave at his home, and he says he, he right. turned it into a gym, basically. Uh, and he got his, his high school coach down at the local high school to let him borrow some of the, the workout equipment from the school, which is obviously not in use right now. So <laughs> he, he lugged some of that to, the, to his house and is actually putting that to use, which is interesting. I'm I mean, Darius, Darius Leonard, Darius is the lake of, excuse me, the, the mayor of Lakeview, South Carolina, right? Yeah. So, Knows everybody. I'm picturing him just like throwing weight benches in the back of a truck or like even (laughs) on the back of like a trailer and just like swinging it by that by the high school and out to his farm and setting it all up. There's no doubt that's what happened. (laughs) Yeah. Saying hi to everybody on his way back. But that's the reality. That's the situation Mm -hmm. they're in. And and he's doing a little competition with his buddy, Anthony Walker, and they're sending each other their workouts and their heart rates and and all that stuff. But. No, I think it was interesting. I don't think he's able to do everything he wants to do right now. He's making the best of it, but it's not ideal. No question. Uh, so on a related note, uh, sticking with sort of the, the new world that we're living in right now and uh, dealing with COVID-19. Uh, so the NFL is going to put out the schedule this week, uh, Thursday evening. That's an interesting development. They said they were going to do this, and I wondered if they would stay on schedule with it, but they have. Uh but my thoughts are this, or I, I guess I want your thoughts. So things are starting to get a little more back to normal. You know, more states are starting to open certain businesses. And, you know, we can argue about whether that's premature. I think, you know, there's probably going to be some consequences from that. But whatever. I'm not a scientist. But the point is, how are you feeling about this? I, I've allowed myself to become a little more optimistic lately, but I also have to stay guarded because I know we don't know what we don't know, but but are you allowing yourself to be more optimistic just in general about football and the outlook and sports in general? Yeah, I am. And that's probably a dangerous thing to do. Um, (laughs) Me too. The NFL is probably in the best position because there's no impetus to do anything for, you know, to have live games for, for several, several months. And that's a long Mm -hmm. time. And I feel like we'll continue to make progress. There will be probably some, you know, There'll, there'll probably be some more days where we get bad news, right? That's just how this is going to be sure. if we don't respect it. But um, I think the NFL, if it's smart, can put itself in a place where we can have games even without fans. And I don't think that's ideal by any means. But if there's games, I think that would help people in a lot of different ways, something to watch. Um, yeah. I don't know how the media is impacted by that. I don't know how our interactions will be with the players. I don't expect to be in the locker room right away or anything like that. Right. Um, but it seems like if that's able to happen in September or October, uh, I, I, I'm starting to lean towards that being a possibility. I really think the NFL will play football this fall. That's that's where I'm starting to lean. So I agree with you, and I tell you my rationale here, and you can tell me if you agree or not, but I think the issue of fans is that is very much up in the air, and, and that really won't be up to the NFL, right? I mean, I think they will leave that in the hands yeah. of – of the experts yeah. because they have said that from the beginning. And I think uh, I, I saw actually an HBO special the other night, for example, uh, Brian Gumbel's show talking about how sports, 
game, sports activities may have impacted the early spread and how, for example, the Golden State Warriors continued playing for another week after the Bay Area recommended large gatherings be canceled, right? So so I think yeah. no one wants to be responsible for that. So the NFL is going to be very, very sensitive to that. However... And it, it might be the last thing that returns to normal. The, yes. I mean, among the very last sports... Sporting events and concerts and, and large yeah. gatherings like that. It, it probably has to be. However, I find it very difficult to believe the NFL is going to leave billions of dollars on the table in terms of television revenue. And that's yep. where the money is for the NFL. Uh, people right. forget that they could play in front of in front of uh, you and you, your wife and your two kids and still make billions of dollars. Okay, yeah. <laughs> because now they'll take a hit by, for them, by not being. They'll probably have to give money back for those tickets. They will. That's a that's a big hit, right? But look, it's not anything compared to money. that TV money. They, yeah, they love taking your money for season tickets. Okay, don't get me wrong, and they love when you buy an eight dollar beer at the concession stand. Don't get me wrong, oh, right? Yeah. But but what really drives the NFL is NBC and ESPN and Fox and CBS. Okay, that's where the million money dollar is. contracts. Yep, absolutely multi-billion dollars so they that money's still on the table I, I did something interesting i don't really get into television ratings too much but i think they're telling sometimes if you look at i just saw a press release for uh an espn press release about the last dance the michael jordan series that i just think is just fabulous and i know yeah, you've been watching awesome. it too uh so that's the only thing that really i think has our attention in terms of sporting in terms of sports viewing right now. And the ratings are unbelievable. Uh, they've yeah. had like six, seven million people watching this thing on Sunday nights, which as television ratings go is, is massive for cable. I don't know how there's and not I, more. Who's not watching I, I know. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people are watching it like on other platforms or maybe like I record it, maybe, you know, watch it like Monday or something. You know, oh, so I, I got to watch it live. It's like, the, I, it's like a game. I forget I gotta sometimes. Watch it live. Right. Yeah. But uh, but anyhow, my point is this. So so those ratings are really high, and and this is not a live sports event. Okay, I, the, that's like around half the ratings they get for a Monday night football game. And Monday night football is like like you know American Idol wishes it got those kind of ratings. You know what I mean? Like it's right. it's so right. ridiculous. Primetime football is so ridiculous that nothing right. compares. And yet here is a documentary that like you know is on cable that maybe some people don't even realize is happening on Sunday night. And this thing is bringing in ratings approaching that level. So what do you think NFL games are going to bring in when everybody's at it's home? It's going to be it's, monstrous. I guess it's the point I'm getting to. If you can't the go to the games, be- <laughs> monstrous. The, the ratings are going to be ridiculous. So they'll recoup some of the money they don't make inside the stadium because the ratings are going to be just insane. So, it's a very long-winded way of saying, I think they're going to find a way. They're not going to leave that money on the table, nor should they. I don't think they should. That, but the I question if, is... If we know the NFL, we know they're going to do everything they can do to play those games, to get those to get those ad revenues, to get that money, to keep, to keep the machine rolling, right? Yeah. And they're going to have to go to unbelievable extents to, to keep the players safe and, and to keep the fans That's safe, keep the, the media safe. Right. I they, they need to do that. I think they, they'll find ways. I think there'll be other sports that roll out first. I think golf's going to come back in a couple of weeks, obviously with no fans, but the players will be mm-hmm. out there. It's different, but if you can keep the players safe, I think the NFL is going to do everything they can to get those games started. Right. And I think, look, they as testing becomes more available, uh, certainly the NFL has resources 
and and as private testing becomes more accessible, they'll be able to to monitor things better. So I, I really think there's a way, unless unless things change, and we can't, we've never been able to foresee anything in this crisis. But but unless things right. change, I, I think there's going to be a path to playing football. That personally, I am allowing myself to think that maybe I'm wrong. Um, maybe I'm being selfish, what, but I hope so, man. I. Yeah. I'm going to be excited on Thursday night to see the schedule because it's going to feel like normal. And it's going to be like, okay, here's that's what the right. first month looks like. Here's what the second month. And that's going to, you know, I I want football to come back selfishly. I think all the fans out there do as well because football is awesome. And I love watching the games and uh, it makes us feel like it, like life would be a little bit, a little bit back to normal to be able to watch football on Sundays. And And also selfishly, you know what I want? I want to see this Colts team. Just yeah. out of curiosity, I want to see I'm with what you, this man. team looks like, and I, I would hate I, to I'm miss that opportunity. Really anxious to see what the offense looks like and how it plays. And, and Pittman and, and Pittman and Taylor really changed things for me. When I look at the draft, I've been asked a lot, "What do you think of the draft?" I don't know much about the back half. I don't know if any of those guys are going to be legit. You never do. The first two picks, I'm excited to watch. I think they're going to contribute right away. Yeah, I, I just I really think they've got a an opportunity to be a really exciting team. And now they have their work cut out for them. The AFC South is, is going to be tough. I mean, it's a minefield, but, but that's yeah, but part the, of what's the fun about it. getting worse by, by their own, <laughs> by the moves <laughs> they keep making. Well, they've got to overcome themselves and the Colts. So they've got yeah. work to do, but, but, but right. again, uh, it is a minefield in the division, but, but I think that's what makes it fun. And that's part of why we want to see this thing play out. So anyway, I guess that's us just, being wistful and hoping this thing works out. So we're, we're just like you, <laughs> the listener. Yeah. Hey, we're on the same so, team. We want football back. I think everybody does. Absolutely. Hey, uh, amen to that. So anyway, that's kind of the, the view from here for right now. Uh, we'll continue to hear from Colts players and from Frank Reich, I think on a weekly basis. So um, we'll be able to share some of that in the weeks to come. Uh, Frank talked to us on Monday. He's kind of updating us. Um, he got a new, a new zoom setup in his uh, very spacious living room. Uh, but he yeah. he doesn't have a Cliff Kingsbury setup at all. He, he wishes. That wouldn't work for Frank. I think, be I don't inauthentic, think, I don't think wouldn't it? Could, I don't think we could, we could do that with Frank. It wouldn't seem like it was him. <laughs> yeah, Frank I, and I, I live not Fra- that far from each other, but his living room is much nicer. We'll just put it like that. <laughs> you live a few blocks away, but a world away. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Very much so. Yeah. My wife saw the uh, the background and she said, "We should just look at a house in that area." And I said, "Nah, for, Frank's making Frank deserves a nice living room. Let's say that, and he's not going anywhere anytime soon." Right. Awesome. Anyway, hey, thanks for listening, uh, and thanks for continuing to to be faithful readers of the Athletic. Uh, we've got some stuff on tap, so continue checking us out. Uh, I'm working on a film review of Jonathan Taylor in fact so got some coaches film that I was able to get my hands on and I've been looking at that so check that out and I know Zach's got some things he's working on as well and you'll hear from Darius Leonard too so stay tuned for that so again thanks I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer and this is 1% Better.